Lord, there is indeed nothing sweeter than to trust in Jesus. And so we pray that, we, that you indeed would help us trust you more, especially now as we worship you through the preaching and the hearing of your word. May you and you alone be glorified. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning to all of you. Um, and to all of you that are visiting with us, a very genuine and a very warm welcome to you. If you are able to remain standing, I would like to ask you to do so for just a few more moments in honor of God's Word. Our text for this morning's sermon is found in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And if you have a copy of God's Word, of course, you should open there. But if you need a Bible, there is one located in the seat back in front of you, and this passage can be found on page 528. So before we, we read, um, just a tender reminder to all of us. And I think it's worth repeating to ourselves every time we open the pages of this book. It's no... It's no ordinary book. What we hold in our hands are the words of the living God. And what we're going to read now was penned some 3,000 years ago under inspiration of the Holy Spirit through King Solomon, who spoke, according to 1 King, 3,000 years. Proverbs. And so I want us to read and to hear and to receive God's holy word together. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. My son, this salutation. This salutation is most likely a reference to the youth of the nation of Israel. And then by extension to us, to us and to you, his beloved, his adopted, his chosen, my son, it is so endearing. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And these next two verses will serve now as our primary text for today, starting with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge 
him, and he will make straight your paths. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Thank you, and I invite you to have a seat. When I was just um, 14 years old, that was a long time ago. <laughs> By the grace of God and God's grace alone, I heard for the very first time that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And I remember that upon hearing that, I wept over my self-righteousness and fixing my eyes downward because I could not look up. I repented and quite literally bent my knees to Jesus, putting all my trust, all my faith in him. Jesus, the only narrow, straight pathway to God. And very quickly, I memorized a handful of verses, all in the King James, and these were among them. Some of the most well-known verses in Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Trust. Trust. Such a profound thing, such a profound word. Confidence, security, reliability. That's what it means and that's what it is. Now, if we can, let's juxtapose trust against a world that seems to be ever devolving into one of increasing distrust. It's one of non confidence one of insecurity, one of unreliability. And we feel it, don't we? we? We see it. But it's always been that way. There is nothing new under the sun. Distrust just sort of shifts over time from one object to a different one. Let me give you a modern-day example. I've observed that there seems to be this increasing level of distrust around news media sources these days because we hear a lot of pundits screaming fake news, misinformation, disinformation. 
Here's another one. Through advanced technology, it seems more and more people, and I think more young people especially, are beginning to distrust reality itself because digitalized images and experiences are now considered better than the real thing. All altered by social media platforms, virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence. And I'll give you just one more. The world is now telling us that we should be open to distrusting even our own physicality. The makeup of a man and a woman, God-given and God-created non-negotiables. And so there are these confusing and I think redefining words that are popping up like transgender, non-binary, gender fluid, cis, And all of this is creating distrust and confusion around the meaning of simple pronouns like he and she by adding words like they and them. Family, I'm sure that you could come up with dozens more. And we can see why, right? We can see why there might be this increasing reticence to trust, and frankly, to trust anything or anyone. But deep down, deep down, despite all that, most everyone still wants to trust, to believe in something that is unshakable, unchangeable, dependable, reliable, with confidence, and with security. It's just that they're all looking in the wrong places. And God, God, the one who just spoke and it came to be, he's entreating us to trust to trust. And he has a lot to say about it. The Bible is brimming with references to trust. And from our text this morning, I've prayed by the aid of the Holy Spirit that we will see that trust does not need to be confusing. And also that we would know that there is one object of trust, just one that can be absolutely certain. Solomon makes that crystal clear. It's also crystal clear here in this text that trust is actually binary. It's either or. It's one or the other, and there is no in-between. In essence, Solomon writes that ultimate trust is either in one of two different objects with one of two different origins that result in one of two different outcomes. Two objects, two origins, two outcomes. And one, dear family, is far, far better than the other because... In whom we place our trust, with what 
we place our trust and to where our trust leads us matters. Who, what, where. It matters so much that it can be the dividing line between peace and distress, hope and despair, life and death. And that's why I've entitled this sermon, The Life of Trust. Now, before we get to the who, what, where, we need to define two commands. And they're found in verse 5. Let's read that verse again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. The commands are trust in and do not lean on. One's in the affirmative and the other is in the negative. One says do this and the other says don't do that. It's a very rhythmic pattern that you'll find throughout the book of Proverbs. And the Hebrew word here for trust means to rely upon something out of a sense of security. And it's usually, usually in the face of danger. When I understood for the very first time the gravity of my sin and its consequence, which Romans 6.23 states is eternal death. That's danger. And Hebrews 9.27 states is judgment. That's danger. I could do nothing but look down, bend my knees, repent trust and believe with absolute security that Jesus died for me. Ray Ortland, he puts it like this. Trust means to throw oneself down on one's face, to lie down spread eagle in complete reliance. That's trust. It's complete confidence, complete security, complete reliability. And David, Solomon's father, used the exact same word in Psalm 37.3. He says, trust in the Lord. Psalm 115.9, O Israel, trust in the Lord. Spread eagle, complete competence. Now, there's a sister verb for the word trust in verse 5, and it's lean. Lean. It's similar in meaning to the word trust, but it's more like supporting yourself with a crutch. I'm sure you can envision that, and maybe some of you have actually experienced that. Only here... In verse 5, we're told not to lean. Do not support yourself with something like a crutch. And the reason why, 
The reason why we're told to do one and not the other, to trust in and do not lean on, is because the command is completely dependent upon the object of trust and the object of the leaning. What are you trusting in? What are you leaning on? That's the question. And Solomon doesn't give many choices here. In fact, there are only two. There are only two. And it's either in the Lord or on ourselves. Verse 5. In the Lord or on ourselves. And the Lord here, translated from the Hebrew, is Yahweh. Yahweh. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. And as Paul writes in Romans 3.29, and as we heard last week, if you remember, the God of Gentiles also. God shows no partiality, Romans 2.11. So I want us to reflect a bit on the character of our God and why he is to be trusted and also why he is to be trusted in. Now, God's character, his attributes are unfathomable. They're unsearchable, right? That's what Paul wrote in Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. So Paul is saying it's utterly impossible to unearth all of God's attributes. Our brother Luke preached on just nine of them two weeks ago. But I want us to home in on just one just one that will help us lay prostrate, spread eagle on God, and trust that we are indeed secure and safe. Just one. One attribute. His faithfulness. His faithfulness. Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, the Lord is faithful it's who he is. Faithful is our God. Faithful is just who he is. Honest, stable, firm, loyal, trustworthy. And the faithfulness of God described in Lamentations here is great. Great. Meaning it's abundant. It's exceedingly full. It is enough. It can never be added to. Not one more molecule or atom could be wedged into God in terms of faithfulness. Now, not only that, 
if you look at the passage, his faithfulness exhibited by love never ceases. His faithfulness exhibited by mercies never come to an end. Never. We've all heard the saying, never say never. Because you can never be sure that never is absolute or incontrovertible. I can't tell you, family, how many times I have said never to myself. Never, never again will I say that. Never again will I do that. Only to be shamed within minutes of saying never. Peter, he once said to Jesus, I will never leave you or fall away. Only to fall away, not once, but three times before the cock crowed and he went out and wept bitterly over it. But God, God, he can say never. And his never means never. His faithfulness, his trustworthiness never ends. It's infinite. It is without end. Now, to be faithful also means to be true. If you have a faithful friend, you might also call them a true friend. And John writes in his gospel, 3, verse 33, that God is true. And because he's true, whatever God says, found in every single word of the Bible that you just read from, is so pure without any defect whatsoever that as David wrote in Psalm 12, 6, when God says something, his words are, and I, and I quote, they're like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. When God says, I state my word on it, you can take that to the bank. It's like pure silver. Family, not once, not once has God ever broken a promise. Not once has he never not kept his word. God can be trusted. He is trustworthy. Now, that's God. But we need to contrast the trustworthiness of him with what Moses writes in Numbers 23, verse 19. Listen to this. God is not man that he should lie, which means by deduction that people lie, right? We know they do. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man 
that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? The answers are obvious. These are rhetorical, which brings us back to our text. You see, God and man are contrasted here as well, and they're contrasted against the yardstick of trust. And here's the thing I think we need to take special note of because it's not somebody else that God's contrasted against. No, it's us. It's me. It's you. There was a, a famous Navy Commodore in the War of 1812. His name was Oliver Hazard Perry. Maybe some of you remember him from your high school history studies. And on the waters of Lake Erie, he once said, and I do paraphrase a bit, we have met the enemy, and he is us. He is us. Certainly, when it comes to trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Your own, us, me, you. Because, because we're nothing like what was just described of God, faithful to the end. Even Job, who the Bible described as blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil, even Job concluded about himself and I quote from chapter 40, verse 4, Behold, I, Job, am of small account. The King James writes it like this, Behold, I am vile. How is it? How is it that Job, described as blameless and upright, is also of small account or vile. I think it's best translated as insignificant. Well, compared to God. Compared to God, and that's what Job is saying. And family, so are all of us, right? By nature, children of wrath, but listen Praise be to God that by grace alone, through faith alone, in the merits of Christ alone, we have been saved from our sin. And it is finished. The record of debt nailed to the cross. And now, now, brothers and sisters, we're not insignificant. We are significant, significant in Christ because we have now become children of God. Now, back to our text, verse 1. Remember? My son. My son. Our Abba Father is now calling us my son. Even so, 
Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. Not inherently good. Only the Father, only God, only the Lord, only Yahweh can be trusted to the end with absolute confidence, absolute security, and absolute reliability. A.W. Tozer, preacher in the 50s from Chicago, he once wrote, not since Adam stood up on the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. Trust in the Lord and do not lean on your own. And family, it's not enough to just mentally agree that God is faithful and that God is trustworthy because that's who he is. No. We're told in Proverbs to trust in the Lord, in God himself. Jesus said in John 14, 1, believe in God, believe also in me. And one way or another, our trust is either or, in the Lord or on ourselves. And that's true for every single one of us. That's the who of the text. It matters. It matters deeply who we trust in. Now to the what. With what are we placing our trust? Also in verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. Today, we would say, that the heart is a vital organ for physical life. That is true. But in ancient biblical times, the heart was viewed as the vital place, more like a control center, if you will, for all aspects of life, not only the body, but the emotional, the spiritual, the moral, the will, the mind, our thinking. Here, Proverbs 23, 7, and the King James puts it this way, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The heart is at the center of thinking. Now, there's no equivalent to the word heart in the English language. This word heart occurs 46 times in the book of Proverbs, 858 times in the Old Testament. And some theologians and commentators believe that this is the most important anthropological term in the Old Testament. So you see the heart is paramount. And because it is paramount, it needs to be safeguarded in every respect. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life, the nucleus of life, all of life. 
Now, in our text, we're told to trust in the Lord with all our heart. All your heart, meaning all your emotions, all your mind, all your thinking, all your intellect, all your life, all, don't be confused, means all. And family, this all is the totality of trust he deserves because he is God and he is faithful. It's the totality of trust he demands because he is God and he is faithful. It's the totality of trust we can confidently dispense because he is God and he is faithful. Can we see now that our Lord is so tenderly and lovingly entreating us to place all our trust in him, all our heart, all our life. And by way of striking contrast, the totality of this trust is compared to that of not leaning on our own understanding. And understanding here means insight. It means discernment. It means discriminating between right and wrong, good and evil. Understanding is precisely what Solomon asked the Lord to give him in 1 Kings 3. He asked this of God, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. This is a good thing Solomon's asking for. In fact, the entire book of Proverbs is abounding with high praise for understanding. Proverbs 2, 2. Incline your heart to understanding. 2, 3. Raise your voice for understanding. 2, 11. Understanding will guard you. 3.13, blessed is the one who gets understanding. 14.13, 15.14, 16.16, 23.23, and there are a lot more. So clearly, we are to get understanding, but our text says do not lean on it. And that's because we must hold our leaning up against the object of our understanding, just like we've got to hold our hearts up against the object of our trust. The object of our trust is in the Lord and the Lord alone. But the object of understanding is our, in our text here is our own, our own 
You see, understanding from above, from the Lord, it's wise, it's discerning, it's insightful. It's the kind of stuff that Solomon asked for. But understanding from below, from our own conclusions, which are often based on mere perceptions, right? Because we're not omniscient. And those are limited. And they're half-baked. And they're oftentimes irrational. All we have to do is look at the Garden of Eden to see what happens when trusting in the Lord with all of one's heart shifts to leaning on one's own understanding. That was a deadly shift. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12. One commentator put it this way. One is a fool to rely on his thimble of knowledge before its vast ocean or on his own understanding, which is often governed by irrational urges he cannot control. Family, God is not instructing us to set aside our intellect. He's instructing us to lean and rest our intellect upon the intellect of God. We read in verse 7 of our text this morning to be, to be not wise. Be not wise in your own eyes. Your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the complete personification of wisdom is Jesus. In fact, this entire book of Proverbs, a book of wisdom, it was made real by Jesus in the flesh. He is the fulfillment of every proverb. And now the proverbs are given to us to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.15. You want to read the book of Proverbs, you will find Christ every single time. Okay, we made it through verse 5. So where is all of this taking us? Well, thank God he gave us verse 6 because it's here that we clearly see that where our trust ultimately takes us matters. It really matters. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now again, Solomon says, in all. In all. We don't need to be confused by this. All means all. In all your ways, acknowledge him. 
When I first memorized this verse many years ago, you know, I thought the word acknowledge was sort of like, it meant sort of like giving a nod, just being aware that God is in my presence. And that's part of what it means, part. But the word acknowledge is so much richer. It's so much fuller. More deeply, what it really means is that we know God. We know God really well. We're intimate with Him. We experience Him. And I guess if I, Tom Krugel, were to paraphrase this verse, and this is Tom Krugel's paraphrase, it would read more like in all your ways, meaning in all your course, all your character, all your contact, all your conduct of life, in all your ways, know him. Be intimate with him. Go deep with him. Experience him. Family, bury yourself in the word of God. Bury yourself in it. Every waking moment, think about it. Go to it. The Word of God, experience Him. Listen, He knows you. He knows you. Psalm 1-6 says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And Hebrews 4-15 says that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. He enters into our way. He watches over it. He protects it every single time. And when I learned this, I had to go deep. And I had to honestly ask myself, do I just acknowledge God with a wink and a nod and a glad you're here kind of lifestyle and then just to continue to live on as if he weren't with me? I know we all do this from time to time, some more than others and oftentimes more than we wish. But when we really know God and believe and trust in Him, causing us to be so enraptured with His love, so enraptured with His mercy, so enraptured with His faithfulness, utterly enraptured with all of who He is, the Son of God, Jesus, the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, then all of our ways... <laughs> They take on a different path. It's a peaceful path, a purposeful path, a perpetual, straight path into eternity with Him. Straight. Straight. But for now, we all live 
as Philippians 2.15 says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you, you shine as lights in the world. Straight, straight is the Lord's path, but crooked is the world's. The crooked path looks like it's fine to sleep and live together before marriage. The straight path says abstain from sexual immorality. The crooked path looks like it's fine to abort a baby because it's a choice. But the straight path says that God knitted me together in my mother's womb. The crooked path looks like it's fine to be stingy with our possessions, but the straight path says one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. The crooked path looks like it's fine to hate your enemy. But the straight path says if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. The crooked path looks like it's fine to brag about yourself on social media. But the straight path says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. The crooked path looks like it's fine to spend senseless amounts of time on devices. But the straight path says, whoever looks or works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. The crooked path looks like it's fine and tolerant to mind our own business and keep silent when our friends are going astray. But the straight path says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The crooked path looks like it's fine to lean on our own understanding. But the straight path says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Some of you, some of you here, you might be asking, where do I start? How do I even begin to trust in God like this? Well, it starts with Jesus, God incarnate, the Word made flesh, born in a manger, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God. All the things we sang about this morning, this Jesus offers you the gift of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, 
in him alone. Grace is giving us what you and I do not deserve. Faith is hearing truth about God, which we've read and heard this morning and this afternoon. Believing truth about God and trusting in the God of truth. And that grace and that faith which God freely offers you is in the person of Jesus, his son who died because none of us, none of us have ever perfectly walked the straight path. But he did. He did. Jesus says to you, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He also says to you, just like he said to me at 14 years old, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Lord Yahweh except through me. Put your full weight on him. Spread eagle. He will lift you up. Trust in him with all your heart, with all your life. He will never, never fail you when you trust in him. Jesus, the only narrow, straight pathway to God. And to all of us, then, trusting in the Lord with all our heart and not leaning on our own understanding, all of it by God's grace, right? By God's grace. It's not always going to look and feel like a straight path, at least not while in this world. In fact, Sometimes it may very well lead to meandering, twisted, and painful trials. Nevertheless, James wrote, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I know. We all know trusting in the Lord can sometimes feel like crooked paths, but as a Portuguese, Portuguese proverb says, sometimes, sometimes God writes straight with crooked lines. But family, know this, he's always leading us heavenly straight heavenly straight. So, 
Blessed are you, said Jesus. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you know better than we that we do indeed live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, telling us that their way is the straight way. Oh, but help us, we pray. Help us to not fall prey, but to trust in you and acknowledge you in all our ways with the entirety of our lives. And then to shine as lights in this world. God, we need your grace. We need your grace. And now, Lord, we want to thank you for the table, for the meal which we are about to partake, and for reminding us of the sacrifice of your Son together with all the benefits of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and the merits of Jesus alone, all of which lead straightway to a glorious eternity with you. In the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.